Stand together. May we sing that song. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, and then we'll go to the Word. Amen. Even so. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, take your bride away. Oh, how my together as they would play that song softly and we just consecrate ourselves to the Lord tonight and if you just want to raise your hand to the Lord and say Lord I desire that fellowship Lord to be in your presence where there's fullness of joy fellowship divine Lord I just want you to come tonight and speak to my heart and meet me right where I'm at Lord you're an infinite God Lord that can split yourself Lord and come to meet us in our lives Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we need you tonight, Lord, and we ask that you come again, Lord, and just come meet our needs, Lord Jesus, as we lay ourselves bare before you. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and we're longing, Lord, for a city whose builder and maker is God. There's something within us, Lord. We're not of this world, Lord, but we're pilgrims. We're strangers in this land, Lord. We're looking, Lord, to be with you. Lord, if you just come again, Lord, touch our hearts. Remember those who are not well, Lord, the sick and the needy among us, Lord, those who are at home streaming, Lord. Father, may you come by their way. Meet them in their rooms, Lord Jesus, I pray. Lord, as the word is preached, Lord, there's healing in that word, Lord. As the healing, it is the children's bread, Lord. And Father, we just commit ourselves to you. Ask you to help me just to get myself aside that you could speak as you would see fit. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He's here. Amen. Why don't we just take our Bibles and I, I just want to say there's this is not orchestrated by man. The Lord gave me this service before the special meetings and as I begin to ponder on it, and Brother Ed said this morning he'd considered calling me to minister, and, but he took this morning service, and it was really, really good. How many appreciated the service this morning? Amen. Amen. And I want to take a thought tonight that, as they said, was given to me weeks ago called Footsteps. And for an opening scripture, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 1. And read verse 3. Amen. Amen. I was going to read more of it, but we'll just read the one verse, seeing as Brother Ed took a lot of it this morning. And Amen. When he kept saying, I left a lot of room for you, Brother Andrew. No, you didn't, Brother Ed. 
I appreciate the Lord. Like I said, that's not man that put those things together. He had no idea what was on my heart, and I didn't know it was on his. But the Lord knew, because he's the one that put it there. Amen. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, every place. Why don't we read it together, actually? Wouldn't that be good? Make it personal. Let's read it together. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. Amen. Let's take also over to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. We'll just jump over there right away. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Says this, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made unto his to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Amen. Amen. May the Lord is blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. And as we took this, and I just was really, I'll say it was profound this morning, just in the thought of walking. As tonight we want to take just a thought, simple thought on footsteps. And footsteps, we know, Brother Branham would say, footsteps is possession. And everywhere where the soles of your feet should tread upon. In other words, that's not just something that you don't have to stand there until you sink in. The soles of your feet, everywhere at the bottom, just to walk over it, just to have it even at, at a moment's glance and be able to just walk over it for a, for a moment, that's yours. And he begins to, to, to explain that way. As I said to Moses, God is reiterating the promise again. And God is always faithful in his promise. And he's a faithful high priest. And he's just. And he's able to, to secure them that are tempted. Because he himself came and had suffered and was tempted like all manner like we are. And we know that he had to go through things. And he had to be tempted in this way. So that way he could secure us. So that way he could have, be a high priest of all that we have need of. And he could be the high priest of our confession. It's that confession is not just anything we say, but it's a profession. In other words, it's the confession of our faith. There has to be something behind it that we don't just confess uh, just off the cuff, but there's something in our hearts that begins to come out through our mouth, and he's able to, to be sure that those things come to pass. He's faithful to his promise. And, and I want to just maybe, David, take a step back again, because footsteps are, are indicative of, of direction, 
And, 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 and indicative simply means that, that, that it's, it's showing something or it's given information or knowledge of something that is not yet seen. And footsteps, when you're, when you're it's something that you're giving and you're heading to a destination, you're going somewhere, but you don't necessarily see your destination. It also shows direction if you, if you ever get out and hunt, and I, I'm not much of a hunter or any hunter at all, but if you go and track an animal, you might come upon a, a set of tracks. You don't start at the start of the tracks. You come in about halfway, and there's tracks that go that way, and there's tracks that go that way. And you've got to know what you're looking at in order to determine the direction. If you look at it in the wrong direction, you'll head the wrong way. And you'll begin to go away from the animal when you're trying to go towards the animal. Because there's a certain way that the, the hoof is made or the, the paw is made that it shows it's going in this direction. And it's the same way as an individual. There's footsteps that we have that, 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 that show the direction that you're going. And you can look behind you from where you came from and look to where you're going. Even though it's, it's indicative of it. In other words, you can't exactly see the end result. It's like when you're climbing a mountain. When you, when you, if you ever go out hiking and desire to climb in a mountain, you know, you, you, you don't always see the peak. When you're driving there, as we do from here, we would perhaps drive towards Jasper, and as you're a long ways out, you can see the peaks of the mountains. You can look at them in all majestic, and it seems very beautiful, and you can maybe perhaps, if you know the mountains very well, you can see, I'm going to that one, and I'd like to climb it, and we're going to go for a hike and see if we can make it up to the top. And the ones that I can see, I, I, I could never make it to the top. I need the smaller ones. But maybe some of you are more ambitious than I am. But if you go with a group, there's always somebody in the group that gets halfway up and says, I think this is good enough. But if you came to hike a mountain, you came to go to the peak. Even though the closer you get to the mountain, the less you see the peak. The more you just begin to see what's right in front of you. And when you get right on the trail and you're on the trail of the, of the mountain, you begin to just see the trail. And you just see a few feet ahead of you. And you, you just maybe, you can, if you're really good, you can see a couple hundred yards and you can see up the trail. But you can't see the peak. But every once in a while, maybe you get on onto, a, onto a, pre a precipice and you begin to look and you can see the, the, the peak of the mountain. You can see where you're going for just a moment. And then that's a wonderful encouragement. You can see, yes, it's still there. It didn't move on me. Praise the Lord. Somebody didn't have that much faith to move the mountain on me when I'm halfway up it. But, but you begin to see something. It encourages you to keep going up the hill. Because you leave that precipice and again you come bogged down on just the trail. And when you're walking a trail and when you're, when you're walking and you're putting footsteps down and you're going up this, it's all encompassing of the trail. When you're walking up a trail, it's, it's not a big highway. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but it's, it's, it's something that's just, it's a trial. You can't say, well, I'm going to walk on this side because you're, you're now walking in the trees. Or I'm going to walk on that side, or you're now walking in those trees. You have to walk, and as you walk, you're entirely encompassing the whole trial. And it's something that you're a part of now. You're engrossed in it. You're, you're given to that trial. You know, when you come to a why, it becomes a time of decision. Where you begin to realize, now, now which way do I go? And hopefully there's a sign there or some previous knowledge that you know, I need to go this way to go up and that way is not the right way. That goes somewhere else. But, but you hope for those things. And then oftentimes in, in our own spiritual walk with God, it begins to get that way. And when we're putting footsteps, as we look and as we read the scripture and you read it with me and we rejoiced and said, footsteps is possession and all that the soles of my feet will walk upon. But sometimes that seems such a dreary task. Because when you're just walking, all you see is a few feet in front of you. 
You don't see the well-being that's up there. You don't see the, the, the theophany body that's, that's, that's waiting for you just on the other side. You don't see the great promises of God, but you just see what's right in front of you. And as you're walking towards it, you're slowly getting closer to the end goal. Amen. And we don't want to be the person in the group that gets halfway and says, well, I think this is good. Let's turn around and go back. No, we're headed to a destination. Let's turn for a moment to Genesis chapter 5, if you could turn with me. Some of these scriptures will be very familiar to us, and hopefully all of them, but Genesis chapter 5 and verse 22, we'll talk about a man who had a walk. It said, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And it says, in all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Let's just maybe turn quickly over to Hebrews chapter 11 before we... Brother Andrew, that's so familiar to me. Good, then I'll just read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him... But, but before, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now this is our promise. This is what we desire. We know that there's a rapture, there's a translation, there's something that's going to happen. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, right? With them that, that have gone on before, they'll raise up and we'll be caught up together with them to go meet the Lord in the air. And it's a wonderful promise, but he says before the translation, he had a testimony that he pleased God. And if we go back and read what it talks about his life, it doesn't say an awful lot. It just says he walked with God. And that was very pleasing to God. That he had somebody that he could walk with. It didn't matter to him if he said, well, perhaps Enoch had a limp. We don't know. Maybe he had a, an, an obvious limp that he constantly walked with everywhere he went. It wasn't important. He didn't say whether he walked in the open plains, whether he walked on the mountaintops, or whether he was down in the valleys, whether he was in the treed areas, and whether it was maybe boggy and it was hard to walk, whether it was rainy or sunshine out, or what the weather was like, but it said he walked with God. It didn't say about how his, his, his wife was and his children were. All it talked about was one of them, and that was Methuselah, and though he begat other sons and daughters, but it said he walked with God. God wasn't interested in all of the other things and all of the other things going on. He was interested in the fact that you walk with me, I'm going to take care of the rest. He even comes down, if you go back into Genesis chapter 17, if you pull that up, brother, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, this is uh, God begins to speak now to Abram at the time, and he says, when Abram was 90 and 9 years old, that the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the God Almighty, God walk before me, and be thou perfect. So God's looking up saying, listen, there's an example in Enoch. His walk pleased me. And I'm telling you, walk with me. Walking is, is indicative of the fact that there's footsteps going on. There's footsteps happening. There's the soles of your feet are happening from one place to the next. There's an action. You're not stagnant in one place. God didn't say just walk on the spot. Just get exercise. The Christian walk is not a treadmill. It's not a treadmill where you can set up your incline. You can set your pace. You can set how difficult it is. The Christian walk has inclines. It has declines. 
It's got mountains. It's got valleys. There's rivers to cross. There's things you can't seem to get through. There's peaks you can't seem to crest, but eventually you get there. There's mountains you're going to have to speak and get out of your way because you're not that great of a mountain climber, but you know God can move it. God's more than able, but the fact is, are you walking? Are you putting footsteps down? Are you, are you able to move forward in what God is showing you? I'm saying all this to lay this foundation in for you. And, 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 and Abraham, Abraham, as he begins to talk to him, if we go on just a little bit further, he says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face before God, saying, As with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Notice Abram now as he, as, as in verse 1, God told him, walk before me and be thou perfect. God is now re- reaffirming the covenant with Abraham. And he begins to show him just exactly what it means. Before the walk began, he couldn't change his name. But when the walk was going on, as he came to a certain place, oh my, think of it. Abram didn't become Abraham at the start. Abram had to walk into Abraham. And as he began to walk into this, then God said that thou thou shalt thy name no more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations shall have I made thee. And we know Abraham was putting the H in there. The life, the breath of God breathed right into him. But it wasn't just instantaneously. It was something that he had to walk into. Something that he had to have a walk with the Lord and God had to begin to mold him and had to begin to shape him and had to begin to sanctify him and had to call him out from amongst his people and had to bring him into a land that he would show him. And there had been years going on. The promise had been made already for 25 years and finally we come down to this place where now he says, now I'm going to change your name. You've been sanctified. You've been failed. Now I'm going to make you a part of me. Hallelujah. Brother Brandon would talk about a man. He said the man just wanted to argue with him one time and talked about how he, he liked the, the thought of healing, but he just couldn't believe it because he couldn't see it. And the man, unfortunately, had undone himself before he ever started the argument because he was holding a lamp in his hand. And as he was holding a lamp in his hand, Brother Brandon said, where are you going from here? I'm going home. And he said, where's your home? It's over the hill. How do you know it's over the hill? Well, I know it's there. How are you going to get there? You can't see it. How are you going to get there? How do you know it's there? He says, well, I got this lamp. It's going to show me the way. Well, how are you going to show it? You're going to have to put footsteps down. You're going to have to start walking in the light in order to make it to the home as much as you couldn't see it. Oh, praise the Lord. That argument was weaker than the broth of a chicken to starve to death. And the shadow thereof. But, but, but as, he, as, he, as he had this argument, it quickly came to naught because he began to realize exactly what God said. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then you have fellowship one with another. Amen. The key is you've got to be walking in the light. You've got to put footsteps down. There has to be a claim. There has to be a destination. There has to be a purpose to your life. And you have to do something with it. It's not get ahead of God. It's not fall behind God. But it's walk in the light. Stay in the light of the word. Hallelujah. Because when you got the light with you, the light will shine unto the perfect day. It'll keep the path before you. Hallelujah. We lose the path too many times on our own. 
When we get away from the light, we start losing the path. We say, I got this. I could do this. And pretty soon the light, we just leave it there and we carry on. Oh my. We'll carry on because I don't want to spend too much time on that. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says it this way. It says, young man, verse 6, young man likewise exhort to be sober-minded. I know all the old man and all the sisters just are not for me. I think this is for everybody. But it begins to talk, especially for young men who deal with the things that you deal with. Exhort to be sober-minded. And he says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Let me just show you the simplest of patterns. Left, right. Left, right. Left, right. Now, my son who's in kindergarten or just graduated kindergarten knows that's a pattern. He says, show yourself a pattern of good works. So I'm asking you if you can look behind you and see the footsteps. What's the pattern? There was a man one time who was walking home through the snow and he turned around to see his young boy hopping all over the place and jumping and backwards and this way. And then he's like, what's your problem? Daddy, I'm just trying to walk in your footsteps. There wasn't a pattern of good works. The man was drunk. There wasn't a pattern that way. But can you see? He says, there ought to be a pattern. You ought to be able to look back at your life and see that there's a pattern of good works that follows you. There's a, there's a pattern of claiming the word of God. There's a pattern of a manifestation of the word of God in your life that begins to follow you around. And the trail that you leave behind is not a wake of destruction. But it's a wake of healing. It's a wake of joy. It's, it's a wake of love that people begin to see. That's a man with a pattern of good works that begin to follow him. And it says in doctrine showing uncorruptness. He begins to lay out how do you have a pattern of good works? In doctrine showing uncorruptness, showing gravity, showing sincerity. Whew. That's hard for young men. I still consider myself a young man. And young men, we like to be sarcastic sometimes. All the young men were quiet. Quit being sarcastic. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> we, we get that way. We get that sense of humor. We like to have. We like to joke. We like to cut up. We like to do those things. That's our human nature. It's okay. I'm not going to come out and blast you all of a sudden. It's okay. I'm that way too. We get that way. And sometimes we get so much in the flesh that we come to church. We go, oh, Lord. If I need to receive from you, i got some repenting to do. You find us up at the altar. We wake up in the morning, Sunday morning, and we quickly hide in our prayer closet. Oh, my. We need those things. But it says that what's a pattern of good works? Is there some sincerity behind it? Is there sincerity or is it just superfluous? He says, is it sound speech that cannot be condemned? Oh, my. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Lord, help us. Let us show this kind of a pattern of good works in this spiritual body where we're walking and we're putting down a pattern. What, what is the pattern we're showing? That today we, we love the Lord and tomorrow it's all a joke and today we love this and tomorrow we love that? Or is there a sincere walk with God that follows us? If you're walking a path, as I said, it's all-encompassing. As, as, as Isaiah 35 verse 8 would say, there's a, there's a highway shall be there and a way 
and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Oh, hallelujah. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools shall not err therein. I love it. This is the path of holiness that, that the unclean cannot put footsteps on this path. Think about this for a moment as we just want to reflect into ourselves and, and realize the unclean cannot walk this path. There's a way that is the way of holiness. To be unclean, you can't walk this. You can't claim this. Wherever the soles of your feet would tread, it's yours. But you can't walk that unclean. It's a principle that begins to be laid out. And he says, furthermore, it's for a wayfaring man. A wayfaring man is a man that's on a journey. It's a man that he's on a journey. The point of his walking the path is not the path. The point of his walking the path is the destination. The point is getting to where he's going. The point is that the path leads him to the way that is a perfect way. It says in, in modern events, made clear by prophecy, Brother Brown says, we cannot mix it together. Neither can you mix sin and the world together. You can't mix church and denomination. You can't mix church and creed. You can't mix the world and the gospel. They don't mix. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith God. I'll receive you to myself. You'll be my sons and daughters. I'll be a God to you. We can never do it until these things are manifested. And the word of God for the hour is proved to be the truth. Follow in the footsteps. Oh, listen. When you see the Holy Ghost has vindicated the message to be Christ. Have you seen that? When you see that God has vindicated the message of the hour, the message that came by a seventh angel messenger, that Brother Branham was the prophet that began to speak, but it wasn't his message. It was God's message that it was Christ. And when you begin to recognize that that's Christ, then I encourage you, walk in those footsteps. Don't walk a different way. Don't try and go, well, I see that, but I'm going to walk parallel. Or I'm going to walk perpendicular. No, walk in the way of holiness. Let it sanctify you. Hallelujah. Oh my, we could ask you, oh my. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception, acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. He says, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. There's the pattern. Whereas, listen, my life is a pattern that will lead people to Christ. Now, there's a pattern. Where he gets to look at it, and you can look at the footsteps of Paul that had been left behind on the sands of time, and it led to Christ. That's a pattern that we want to have as he begins to exhort young men, show a pattern of good works. Let our footsteps also lead to Jesus Christ. So that if someone was to come behind us, be it our children, be it someone we witness to, be it someone in the world, someone in the church, another young person, whoever it may be, that they would come to Christ. Hallelujah. In Hebrews verse 13, chapter 13, verse 12. 
Ram takes this scripture and, and, and preaches the message going beyond the camp. And he says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Oh my, so he begins to talk about it, he begins to say, as Paul is laying out to the Hebrews, he says, listen, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. And Golgotha, it wasn't in Jerusalem, it was outside. People had to make the journey, had to walk. There was a walk that he had to make with the cross on his back. It was suffering, it was shame, it was hard. There was mockering, there was scourging, there was all of these things going on. But in all of it, he suffered without the gate. And he says, let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp. You can't stay in your comfort zone and get Jesus Christ. Any birth, as we heard on the special meetings over and over and over and over again, any birth is a mess. There has to be, if you want to walk this way, there's going to be some suffering. Well, that makes everybody want to be a Christian, doesn't it? There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be a mockery. Why? Because it's a cross that we must bear. There's a pattern that we have to follow. There's something that you have to walk in those footsteps that Jesus left on the sands of time so that we could get to him, so that we could be found in him because he's coming for those that are in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't been walking the way, you never made it there. There is a highway. Everyone says there is a way, or the Bible says there is a way that leadeth to destruction. And broad is the gate, and narrow, but oh, and broad is the way, but narrow is the gate. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. Hallelujah. He says, What's the end goal? Here we have no continuing city. If you're going to go beyond the camp, it's because you've recognized. There's nothing here for me. I'm a warfarer. I'm on a journey. I, I, I'm not, my, my, my home is not in this world. It's become filthy and dirty to me every day. You wake up, you have to go out, you have to drive, you have to rub shoulders, you see things that you just wish you could unsee every day. Why? Because there's something in me that's not of this world. Because there's a point of going beyond the camp. There's a point of bearing the cross. There's a point of following this pattern. We're, 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 we're not here just to cry about our situation, though. We're not here just to complain. Oh, Lord, it's so hard. Take me home. That's not the point. We're overcomers. Matter of fact, we're more than overcomers. Alexander the Great did not conquer by complaining. He didn't walk up to the elephants of India and go, Oh, it's no fair. I don't got none of those. How do you expect me to fight you? Come down from your elephant. No, he figured out a way to take down the elephant. A conqueror doesn't complain about what he's got to do to conquer. He goes and conquers. As we read in the scripture, he became death so that he through death. He became like an our likeness so he through death could conquer, could overcome, could take down the one who's in control of death. That is the devil. We're on a journey. Those simple, 
And even to the world, we look foolish. We do. Oh, my. But the ones that are able to put footsteps on the way of holiness are wayfarers. The people that are on a journey, they're not interested in seeking a home down here. No man takes a journey because he's content with his current location and situation. You don't move cities just to move cities. If you do, something's wrong. You don't just wake up one morning and go, I think I'd like to live in Calgary today. Well, why, Brother Angie? You got a job, you're, you're ministering in the church, you got a family here, you got all these things going on. Why? I don't know. Did God call you? No. Just felt like going. My, it'd be miserable. You find out pretty quick, God didn't want you there. But, but, but if you move that way, you find that out pretty quick. But your journey is, you journey because there's something you're on the inside that you're looking to satisfy. The Israelites got on a journey when they got called out of Egypt. It wasn't because they were content in their current situation. Moses didn't come to them and said, I'm here now to deliver you. And they go, dude, we're happy. The whips, they don't bother us anymore, man. We got, we got an immunity to them. We're okay now, bro. We don't need your help anymore. They didn't say that. They were crying out. Because they weren't content in their situation. They weren't happy. There was something in them that was calling for a homeland. It was calling for a home that they knew was theirs. They knew that there was a land beyond the river. They knew they had to go somewhere. They knew this wasn't their home. They were pilgrims. They were sojourners down here. They didn't belong in Egypt. There was something crying out in them. And they began to sigh. And they began to cry out to God. Looking. Say, Lord, when's this deliverer going to come? You promised 400 years. We're getting on 400. We're getting on 410. We're getting on 420. Lord, when are you going to come? When's this going to happen? Please come, Lord. But finally it happened, and they were ready to receive it. Oh, praise be to God. They were willing to go through whatever it took, even when he came down to the last plague, and he said, now you have to apply the blood. Through nine plagues, it never came close to you in Goshen. You were just fine all the time. But now it's going to come right down home again. And I'm going to say this to you right now because we're coming to a crossing over. We're coming to a place where God is looking to say, you have to have the blood applied. You ain't going to make it over without the Holy Ghost on the inside. Without that, you ain't going nowhere. It's death in the camp. Oh my, they were longing for a land, though in the hardships of the journey, they often had to look back at their previous predicament and think it not so bad. They would often look back to Egypt and say, well, we, we, we had the leeks and the garlics at least, because here we are just with manna all the time, and here we are just with this and that all the time. We don't got much going on for us. Why? They were getting bogged down in the fact that they couldn't see the peak anymore. They could just see the trail in front of them. And they forgot there's still a destination. We get that way sometimes. Lord, help us, and I'm here to encourage you tonight. There's a destination. There's a land beyond the river. There's a place we'll call a sweet forever. 
hey man, there's the new Jerusalem. It's coming down. It's a bride adorned for her husband. It's you and I. There's God is within us preparing himself a bride to present. And oh my, he's got a real bride. There will be a church without spot or wrinkle because he said so. When they got on this journey, we find them in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. Moses said to the people, as they know that they were there in Exodus 14, they come to the Red Sea. We love the Red Sea, don't we? No, we don't. It's that trial that we look at, and we don't know how to get around it. There's mountains that way, and there's mountains that way. The things I've been running from all my life are chasing me down, and I can't go forward. And we're in that spot. Lord, my past is catching up with me. I can't go this way or that way. And you stopped me dead. Why'd you lead me here? But as we come to verse 14, he said, And Moses said to the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Hallelujah. And the Lord shall fight for you. Listen, this is the part we often stop at because we see this first part. We say, the Lord shall fight for you. We go, amen. But read the next sentence. And you shall hold your peace. Forgive me for saying this very bluntly, but shut up. Sometimes we got too much to say to try and help the Lord. We find ourselves in a bind and we want to try and talk our ways out of it. When in fact we look down on Isaiah and it said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And he begins to also talk about, he says, don't think what you shall say. I'll give you words to speak. Stop trying to talk. Let the Lord do the fighting. Stop trying to take the sword out of his hand. He knows how to wield it. It's his sword to begin with. Hallelujah. And he says, and the Lord says to Moses, wherefore criest thou to me, speak to the children of Israel, and that they go forward. Hallelujah. It didn't matter the workings out. Leave that to God. It didn't matter how much they could look at it and say, well, I don't know how we're going to get across. Listen, it didn't matter if all of a sudden the carts had to float or if the water moved back. He just said, go forward. Start walking. If all of a sudden you can breathe underwater and you just walk down and back up, praise God. If all of a sudden the, the seas part and you walk across on dry land, praise God. If all of a sudden you turn into an Olympic swimmer, praise God. It didn't matter. The work he's out. He said, speak and go forward. And he begins to tell him, he says, but lift thou up the rod and stretch thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now God begins to work it out for them and says, you tell them, just go forward. That's all he said to them. Just go forward. And then he stretched up the rod. What was the rod? It was the testimony. Look at what I've done for you. Remember how I brought you out from under the Egyptians. Remember the plagues. Remember how you were spared from the nine. Remember how the blood was a sacrifice and it spared your firstborn son. Remember what God did for you. And then go forward. Hallelujah. 
Sometimes too many times we forget God does something for us and then we get to the next problem and we go, well, this is too much. What's in your hand? What's the testimony that God's done for you? If he did that, he can do this. If he saved you from sin, he can take care of your past. Oh, praise be to God. If he saved you, he can heal you. If he healed you, he can justify you. He can sanctify you. He can fill you with the Holy Ghost. Oh, the infinite God. What an awesome God. Steal this from a brother for a moment. The infinite God. God is infinite. Infinity. He's eternal. There's nothing great and nothing small in eternity. It's eternal. If it ever was eternal, it always is eternal. So if you were ever an attribute of God, you were not a small attribute. You were an attribute. You were not a big attribute. You were an attribute. In the mind of God, he doesn't look at you and say, oh, you're just a small one and you're the big one. No, he says, you're all mine. If you ever were in eternity, you might have been dropped down into time, but there's an eternal aspect that's the equal value, whether it's a sister or whether it's a brother. It's of equal value to God. Whether it's a minister, whether it's a lay member that never steps behind this pulpit, it's of equal value to God because it's a soul. And it's his eternal attribute that he looks at and says, I put that there. Hallelujah. You say, well, I'm not the first string violinist. I'm not the one that gets to play the best part. There's a whole lot of rest in my music. Just those little squares, you know, if you ever read sheet music. It's a full bar rest. Sit there. Okay, next bar. Just another square. Next one, just another square. Oh, there's one note right there. Ding. God says, that was perfect. That was my attribute being displayed. Oh, but that brother over there, he's traveling here, traveling there, preaching here. He's overseas. He's over here. He's over there. He's over there. Yeah, he's the first string violinist. Let him go and pray for him. He doesn't make a mistake. Because guess what? When the first string violinist misses a note, the second string is going, where do I go? And the third string is going, what about me? Where, where are we at now? Why? But God's got confidence in that. He's got confidence in that first stringer. That he knows that that one's going to play his part. And the next one's going to play his part. And the next one's going to play their part. And the next one's going to play their part. And it might look like, brother, I'm just resting a lot, just sitting in the corner a lot. But there comes a time. And to God, that attribute is just as important as every other one he ever had. Because it's eternal. Oh, praise be to God. Oh, as Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1 says it this way. Very simple, simple scripture says, Let brotherly love continue. If you read it from the Amplified Bible, the Amplified Bible says, Let love for your fellow believers continue and be a fixed practice with you. Never let it fail. As Brother Red said this morning, sometimes you really got to work to get to the let. Sometimes you really got to die out to yourself a lot to let the let go. Let brotherly love continue. You've really got to let a lot go in order to let that let it be. 
The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and a thirsting. This is an action. This is something that's taking place. What, 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 what does this mean? If we look at it, it says, there's, in other words, there's nothing. If you're hungering and thirsting after something, it means there's nothing in the world that would, should fascinate us so much as being near to God. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then there's nothing in the world that should fascinate you so much as sitting right where you are tonight. Being in the presence of Almighty God, there's nothing that should fascinate you so much as getting up in the morning and reading the, reading the Word of God and getting on your knees and praying and getting into His atmosphere and creating in the presence of God and being able to be in His presence. There's nothing that should fascinate us that much. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You say, you sure, Brother Andrew? Yeah, try it one time. Get someone that is dying of thirst. They say, yeah, sure, here, no problem. You can have a free iPad. They might hit you. They just told you they're dying of thirst. They don't need an iPad. They don't need a million dollars. They don't need a Lamborghini. They don't even need your hug. And we do that so many times. I'm in so much need, brother. Oh, bless your heart. He's going, that's not what I needed. I needed you to really get, help me. I needed something. When someone's thirsty, they don't need something else. They need water. When someone's dying for hunger, they need food. Hallelujah. When the liberators came into the Holocaust, the concentration camps, they didn't come in there and say, well, here, I got you a gun. Come fight with us. No, they needed food. They needed water. They were hungering. They were thirsting for something. There was a desire on the inside that was looking for something. When there's an individual that's hungering and thirsting after righteousness, there's nothing on that iPhone that satisfies. The internet is not a replacement for the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. All right, well, we're here now. So, Brother Andrew, we need to, why, why do we sing so many denominational songs? I don't know. Why don't we write our own songs? When did the internet, when did the advent of the internet, the ability to pick this thing up and listen to any music that's in the world, take the place of the anointing of the Holy Spirit? And all of a sudden, well, I don't feel inspired to write music. Why? Are you hungering and thirsting for it? I don't feel inspired to practice. I don't feel inspired to preach. I don't feel inspired to go out and witness. Are you hungering and thirsting for souls to be saved? Or does something else take its place? Does something else begin to take over and you're trying to satisfy that hunger inside with something else and all you're doing is pushing down and driving down? I'm getting to something here. We, we, we do that in ourselves, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you tonight, if we can set ourselves free and realize there needs to be a pattern behind us. The pattern behind us may not have been perfect before, but it's time to straighten it out. Because you can't walk the way of holiness as an unclean individual. There has to be righteousness. There has to be a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. There has to be something that nothing should ever fascinate us so much as being in the presence of God. 
Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six and verse, praise the Lord, verse nine. It says, know you not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Oh my. Don't be deceived thinking, well, I'm okay. You know, that, that's not so bad. Know not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't walk on that way. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Thank you, brother, for your prayer tonight, Brother Ray. No idolaters. We don't serve idolatry. We've got a living God. We didn't come to serve this pulpit. We didn't come to worship before just a wooden cross. That represents something, but what it represents is a reality of a living God. Notice, he ain't on the cross anymore. He's alive. And that represents his blood that is alive and real in our lives tonight, sanctifying us. And it says, nor abusers of themselves, or it says, nor effeminate, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, nor with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. There's three fingers back at me. But we are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Oh, listen to this next. He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Oh my, he says, meats for the belly, belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Amen. Oh, my body? Yes. And the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Oh my. He makes it real straight. Trying to get to something tonight, sorry. The Bram says, looking to the unseen, he says, what choice are you making tonight? He says, here in Hollywood, I'll say here in Edmonton, Alberta. He says, in the fashion place of the world, the hockey center of the world, Edmonton, Alberta. He says, where are the fine spires and steeples and everything else? He says, what choice are you making? I found it amazing as we were going out witnessing to people and just going door to door saying, I said to a lot of people, we're just the church on the corner, and they'd say, which one? I said, ain't that true? Spires and steeples everywhere, churches everywhere. You look at every corner, I got to pass like four or five to get here. Just right by, I got to drive right by, and then there's all over the place. He says, you got to make a choice. He says, let me tell you, brother, sister, find the Holy Ghost that takes control in the heart. And those pulsations begin to come that God is God. Hallelujah. 
A pulsation, like he says one time, one plus one equals two. One plus one equals two. One plus one equals two. It just begins to pulsate. See, why is that so significant that God is God? Because when you recognize God is God, you begin to recognize this is true. You begin to recognize this is reality. This is spirit. This is life. This isn't just words on a page. This isn't just empty promises. But he's the high priest of our profession. He's able to keep that which he promised and that which we committed unto him against that day. He's able to keep it. He's able to perform it because he recognizes it's a pulsation in you. It says God is God. God is God. God is God. I know what's real. I know it's true. I might only be looking at the trail right in front of me, but I know somewhere there's a peak. Hallelujah. He says, and the things of the world will perish when you walk after the things you don't see. You'll become crazy to the people of the world. You'll say, well, this woman's lost her mind. This man's gone off the deep end. Why? He says he's been healed from cancer. Hallelujah. He says he's been healed from blindness. He's been healed from this or healed from that or the other. He says that he's received the Holy Spirit, and that's changed him. Why? He don't even associate with the pool room no more, the bar room. We can't find him at the card table. That woman don't play cards no more. She quit wearing vulgar clothes. She became a new person. She's, what's there? Something wrong with her? Sure. He says something happened to her. The old carnal mind died. And the mind of Christ took the place in the heart, in the woman's heart. And now she's walking and looking for a city where she'll be popular. Well, let me tell you that, young sisters. There's a city where you'll be popular. There's a city where you'll ride on chariots with the sons of daughters of God. Where she'll, you'll be a guest of the Lord Jesus Christ forever. She's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. She cares not about the pollutions of the world. She, she's been enthroned by something else. God has come into her heart and just blackened out the fashions of the world. That's first when he takes control. Oh, praise be to God. He says in an uncertain sound, sorry, I'm just going to lay out some quotes here, and I don't mean to move so fast, but I also don't want you to be here till tomorrow. That's the reason, Brother Brown said in certain signs, that's the reason when he spoke of a Messiah, there had to come a Messiah. He spoke there would be a church in the last days without spot or wrinkle on it. There will be a church there. He said it. I take his word. I believe it. That's walking the way of holiness. That's footsteps going down on the road saying, I'm going to take God at his word over whatever else looks like. He says, listen, I believe that he promised the Holy Ghost to every believer that would believe. I believe Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preached that notable sermon and told them to repent, be baptized, and these signs would come. He says, whoever called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that is the truth. I stood on it. I seen it manifested. I know I'm battling at it. He says, and I know I'm to take a footstep. But before I make a footstep, I have to cut loose every tangle, every greenbrier, everything else to get it out of the way. But every time you make a step, you're advancing forward. He says, just take a knife and cut it. Oh my, let's go to Joshua chapter 5 for a moment. We need to stop here and we'll just close on this thought. Joshua chapter 5, they had just had a great experience at this moment in, ver- in chapter 3 and verse 5. They had, Joshua had said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
what happened? They crossed over the Jordan. They had the ark go down in the waters and the, and, the, and the Jordans were parted and they walked across on dry land again. This was not the generation that went through the Red Sea. This was the, the next generation that had raised up that believed. And they crossed over the Lord. They sanctified themselves and God did a mighty work among them and now they come across. Now Joshua begins to preach a new message. And it's awesome. He says, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the children of Israel until they were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither was there any spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. That would seem like right there, God has done a mighty miracle. He's just going to give me the land. Hey, it says right there, they had no more spirit in them because of the children of Israel. God had done a mighty work, and oftentimes we get to that point in our lives and we realize we've been at special meetings. There's been a wonderful work of God. There's been a presence of God. God has done a work in my life. He's changed me. He's renewed me. He's made me a new individual. He's given me a new experience. Surely that's it. No. If you look at verse 2, it says, At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives. It's about to get real. He says, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Oh, but I just sanctified myself over there. We just had a great miracle happen. We just had a wonderful thing of the Lord. And he says, take some sharp knives. He says, and Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the four skins. And it says, and this is the cause of why Joshua did circumcise that all the people that come out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that were come out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. Oh my Think of this from a where are we living? What generation are we in right now? This is the third one. There was ones that came out. If you go talk to your grandparents, watch the way they came out, and they circumcised themselves. They cut off everything of the world. Was completely cut off, and it seemed hard. I know ones that came out, and they said, we won't even play board games anymore. Why? Because that was a trap to them. That was a trap to them that they realized that was something of the world, so they cut it off. They took a sharp knife and they were circumcised. They couldn't come out of Egypt without getting rid of all of Egypt. But now there come up their children under them that all of a sudden things didn't seem so bad. Mm -hmm. Sorry, parents. But we got that way. We've been in the message so long. We've been raising the message we come in, we begin to justify ourselves with this quote and that quote, and things don't begin to flow anymore. But we begin to realize, well, this ain't so bad, and that ain't so bad, and that ain't so bad. Well, really this, and, and then really in reality, it's not. It's not that it's sinful things that have crept back into our lives because they weren't sinful, but rather they were things that had a tendency to take you away, and they begin to become more tantalizing than being in the presence of God. And you begin to enjoy them more than you enjoyed the fellowship around the Word of God. You begin to enjoy playing games around the table rather than fellowshipping around the things and the truths that are in the world. 
Yeah, it's getting real right now. Take some sharp knives. What about you tonight? What are you willing to do? If you want to come over, you say, Brother Andrew, I believe I've crossed over into this land. You can't walk this trail unholy. It's got to be a way of holiness. It's got to be righteous. you got to take a sharp knife and cut those things back out again. You might have been raised in a message home. I was raised in a message home. I know what it's like. All of a sudden, things begin to creep in, and it doesn't seem so bad, and this ain't so bad, and that ain't so bad. And I'm still a Christian, and you can justify so many things by the fact that you come sit in a message church and you feel a feeling and God deals with you on a fleshly, superficial level. And you can go out justified. And you can come back again on Wednesday and go through the same thing all over again. And you can go back out again, come back on Sunday, go through the same thing. Come through a special meetings. be like, I got an experience. Praise God, everything's wonderful. We're doing on top of the world. Three weeks later, you're back down in the same rot again. The whole time thinking you're overcoming. But in reality, you're pulling behind you a whole lot of strings. And the puppet master named the devil is pulling whatever he wants. But there was one that came in our likeness, took our place to conquer the devil, to destroy his works, so that those members that were once members of unrighteousness, those members that found pleasure in things that were not in the presence of God, those things that hungered and thirsted after the ways of the world. He said, you can cut them off. You can cut them off. Oh, my. When you're following in the footsteps of Christ, going beyond the camp in the word of God, you're walking around. Listen, you can't walk around it unholy because you're walking around in your theophany. Because the theophany is a word body. When you're claiming this word, you're claiming that tabernacle that's waiting for you in the heavens. There's an end peak. There's an end goal. There's a point why we're going up this mountain. It's not this trail, this hard rock to get over, this cliff I have to scale. That's not the point. Those are all good victories. And those all mold characters. And those all are for a reason to bring you closer to the goal. That we should be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That we should have a body like his very own body. That we should have these things. But in all of it, why are we walking around in the word of God? Because we're test driving. You're laying claims to that body. By taking God at his word. Why do you cry? Speak and go forward. Andrew, how did you move from something so hard to something so precious so quickly? Because I wanted to show you, it's not just about the hardness. It's not just about you have to take a sharp knife. If you need to do that tonight, we need to do it tonight. But there's a reason. Because the children of Israel couldn't take Jericho until they went to the hill of foreskins. 
They couldn't go on to Ai until they went to that hill. They couldn't go on and possess the rest. They couldn't go to Shiloh and renew their vows before God until they'd gone through that taking of a sharp knife. They couldn't go on to possess their land. Joshua couldn't divide it amongst the 12 tribes until they came there first. You can't walk the way of holiness until first you come and absolutely cut off every string of the world. I'm here to encourage you. Don't look at the way of your parents. Don't look at your brother to the right or to the left. Jesus said, what is that to you? Follow thou me. I've set the pattern. Follow after the pattern. I've died for you so you could go beyond the camp and you could be a part of my sufferings so that you could reign with me as well. Let me say it this way. Some of you have the gift of speaking in tongues and interpretation. Those gifts ought to be in manifestation in the body, in operation. And I'm here to tell you, it's some of you. Some of you have the gift of wisdom. Some of you have the gift of discernment. Some of you have these gifts, but the problem is, it's drowned out and tied up by the excesses of the world. Till it's choked out the life. It's lingered in your life too long. Cut it off. We want to see God moving. We want to see the Holy Ghost when it sweeps. He says if the Holy Ghost ever comes, it'll produce the exact same thing it did at the day of Pentecost. And in order for him to happen, we need to do the same thing. We need to cut it off like they did. Get alone in a room. Cut out the outside world and get in one mind and in one accord. How do you do it? You get so full of the Holy Ghost. Take all the ties of the world and cut them off. Those members that were once members of unrighteousness, they ought not to be that way anymore. They ought to be members of righteousness. Your body is a temple of the Lord. He said, what house will you build me? What house will you build me? Why? Because you're going to a place. Hallelujah. If this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, you've got another one waiting for you. But there's a people here that are building a house. Oh, my. We don't want to go back to the leeks and garlics. That older generation, they had too many ties. Too many ties. Too many things they were looking at. Uh, but, I, but I like this. I like my TV. I like my internet. I like my news. I like my games. I like my this. I like my that. Saints of God. Maybe this is hard, and I'm just preaching at myself more than anything. I'm not trying to preach down to you. But it's honestly the truth when we begin to realize we're going in a rapture. There will be a perfect body of Jesus Christ without spot and without wrinkle. The question is, are you in? Because there's that little thing. Some of us got, and it's private. Foreskin was very private, but it's holding on. It held on through the miracles. Held on through the great anointings and the water Jordan going through. Held on to going across dry ground. It was there when you watched 12 men 
One from each tribe began to set up a testimony in the River Jordan. It was there. It was something you hid right down in your heart. It was private between you and only God knows about it. You never told anybody about it, but it's been there the whole time. And God's been looking at that saying, won't you walk before me and be the perfect? Won't you walk with me? Because you can't walk with me with that secret sin. You can't walk with me with that little thing. You want to walk in this land, you've got to get rid of it. Here's a sharp knife. It's the word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And every time that thing raises its head, cut it off. you got to make yourself a confession. you got to be able to take the word of God and begin to act upon it and begin to say, I will not yield my member of my mind to the filthy thoughts of the world. Like Paul said, I will not bring myself under the power of these things. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. But I will not be subject to them. I will not yield my body to filthy hacks. I will not yield my tongue to tell lies and reveling of authority. I will not do those things. Oh, I will not be brought under the power of those devils because I have a promise of a rapture. Cut off every strain and of the world in your life. Romans 6 verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members an instrument of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Think of it, church. Just to nail it down before you can ever start putting footsteps down and claim that land, before you can ever lay claims to that theophany, you've got to cut off the ties. Cut ties with the world. Cut ties with those fleshly desires. Cut ties with all of those things that are coming and creeping in your life, taking up your time. Things that you'd rather have than spend time in the presence of God. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. You shall be filled. As we stand together and the musicians come, I want to read this to you. This is from Charles Spurgeon. It's just meant so much to me in the last couple of years, last couple of months, sorry. It says, neither, Joel 2, 28, Joel 2, verse 8 says, neither shall one thrust another, but they shall walk every one in his path. He says, locusts, Charles Spurgeon says, locusts always keep their rank. And although their number is legion, they do not crowd upon each other. So as they throw their columns into, into confusion, this remarkable fact in natural history shows how thoroughly the Lord has infused the spirit of order into his universe. Since the smallest animate creatures are as much controlled by it as are the rolling spheres and spherical messengers, it wouldn't be wise for believers to be ruled by the same influence in all their spiritual life. Be ruled by the influence of the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Spirit have the preeminence. Let it take control in the heart. Let it be the one in the control tower to cut off every other thing. It says, in their Christian graces, no one virtue should uh, usurp the sphere of another or eat out the vitals of the rest of, for, uh, for its own support. Affection must not smother honesty. Courage must not elbow weakness out of the field. Modesty must not jostle energy. Patience must not slaughter resolution. So also with our duties, one must not interfere with another. 
Public usefulness must not injure private piety. Church, church work must not push family worship into a corner. It is ill to offer God one duty stained with the blood of another. Each thing is beautiful in its season, but not otherwise. It was said to the Pharisees that Jesus said, This ought ye to have done, and not left the other undone. The same rule applies to our personal position. We must take care to know our place. Take it. Keep it. you got to possess it and keep it. He says, and we must minister as the Spirit has given us ability and not intrude upon our fellow servants' domain. Our Lord Jesus taught us not to cover the high places, not to covet the high places, but to be willing to be the least among the brethren. Far from us be an envious, ambitious spirit. Let us feel the force of the Master's command and do as he bids us, keeping rank with the rest of the host. Tonight, let us see whether we are keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And let our prayers be that in all the churches of the Lord Jesus, peace and order may prevail. Amen. That's just meant so much to me as I was studying this, this thought of footsteps. God's got a place for you. He's got a path for you. I did tell you, you can't walk it and serve the world at the same time. Separate yourself from all unbelief. Make me a vessel of honor. Make me a vessel of grace. Make me a vessel of mercy. Father, make me a vessel that's true. Oh, and fill me with love and compassion and fashion my heart to be a vessel worthy of you. Oh, make me a vessel of mercy. Oh, Father, make me a vessel that's true. Oh, and fill me with love and compassion and fashion. My heart to be a vessel worthy of you. Let's just bow our heads together. With every heart bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if you just want to be honest with the Lord tonight. You just want to be honest with Him and say, Lord, I've had too many ties to the world. I need to take a sharp knife tonight. i got some things I need to cut out. I've got some things. I've been too loose. I've just, I haven't been sincere enough. If I look back on the footsteps that I've left behind in the sands of time, there's been a few of them that have been out of pattern. There's been a few of them that I've kind of walked in my own way, Lord. I've left you. Lord, I don't want it to be that way anymore. I want to take a sharp knife tonight. I don't want to have to go to the next special meetings and maybe they would be better and maybe it would be better. But no, I want, Lord, I want today to be a better day than it was yesterday. I want today to just keep walking as in the path of holiness, in the way of holiness, as only you could lead and guide me through. I need to hear that strong 
tongue of the Holy Spirit. I need to feel it in my heart. I need to know that when he's pulling me, I need to be able to understand it's him and respond. God bless you. God bless you, each one. God bless you. This is something only you can do. It's a private conference with God. It's not something I don't believe sitting in a message church is blatant things, but it's something that's in your own life. Perhaps it's your past that you're stuck at a Red Sea tonight and you're looking at it and realizing, Lord, I need you. But I'm willing to look at the, at the rod tonight, the testimony, say, Lord, you've brought me through before. I know you'll bring me through now. So help me, Lord Jesus. Help me to overcome this enemy I'm now facing. Help me to overcome this devil that's haunted me so long. Help me to overcome this thing that's had me grinding around the stone. Just once more, Lord, I feel my hair growing back again. Let me know, Lord Jesus, that you're with me where I'm at. Lord, that you just want me to call you on the scene again. Come and circumcise my heart, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, tonight, Lord, it's maybe come out different than I expected it, Lord, but Father, it's the time we're living in, Lord. It's not a time for playing games. It's not a time for carrying on. It's not a time for just going on our daily business and business as usual, Lord, but times are speeding up as eternity and time are blending together. Lord, help us to be caught up in you. Help us to be found in the way, Lord, that when you pull that scarlet thread, Lord Jesus, we'll be found hanging on and saying, Lord, I'm identified with the blood of Jesus Christ. I've gone beyond the camp. I'm not happy just where I'm at anymore, Lord, but I'm interested. I'm interested in going further. I'm interested in making a decision, Lord, that you could be in the control tower of my heart. You could sanctify me. Wash me, Lord. And as I've stepped across the river, Lord, cut all the old wilderness away. Cut all those old things, Lord Jesus. Let me walk in you. Let me be found in you, I pray. Lord, we just commit each one to you, O oh God, and pray that you would give the increase tonight, Lord. Make it real to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Father, we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Oh, I know the time is near When everything that I hold dear Will lay before Consuming fire All my works and all my deeds And every prayer Self-inflicted pain 
some knowledge in his name and healing hands that touch the lame will lay before the holy consuming fire and all I want to see hallelujah just let me see Jesus hear him say well done we want to hear him say well done good and faithful one you've walked that road you've walked that way just a narrow way just a, a very short way but it was hard it was a hard way but I want to hear him say you've done it well done son well done daughter well done, son. That's what I desire to hear him say. Well done, good and faithful one. I know it was hard. I know I've asked a lot of you, but you did it. You listened to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear him say those words. Oh, my. And hear him say.